0: Please visit gurusing.com. Bless you. Sanam. So it's a um, it's a new moon, which is um, a good thing <laughs> for planting seeds and. We exist in a mechanism and the entire world is revolving around currently the territorial disputes of the mechanisms. And the so-called debate is between those who understand that the mechanism is not life, is not the life, and those who feel it's the only thing there is. And the mechanism is your vessel. So imagine a, imagine a, um, a sailboat. Sailboat is on the water. It's open water, just like life is. And there's many things about this sailboat that one has to take into consideration because that that picture defines some things but doesn't conclude anything does it for one thing the wind is the wind correct the sky is the sky the clouds are the cloud the clouds are the clouds whether there's rain or sunshine is a variable, correct? Current of the water is a variable, correct? Uh, type of boat, the strength of the hull, the, the nature of the keel, whether or not it's a deep keel, a weighted keel, the nature of the, the steering mechanism, the rudder, and the consciousness of the sailor, correct? Now, in that picture, all you are is the consciousness. And yet, everything that is going on in this picture, some form of that consciousness has at one time or another said, I'm going to control this. Four hundred years ago, science who now thinks they're God, you know. If you want to prove the existence of God according to scientists, you have to prove it through a double blind study, right? (laughs) Right. the only thing that exists in that picture that is you is the consciousness. And the consciousness is even controlled by the picture. So imagine this. Our daughter, our granddaughter is coming into her teeth. She's got two on top and two on the bottom and teeth cutting through the gums is painful. And that pain is essential to your development. Because what that pain is going to instruct you to be able to do is to navigate three-dimensional space. Because what that pain begins to identify is that there's something other than me in the world. Because when I ask, my needs are met. And I begin to differentiate between my ask and my reception. So I begin to see two-dimensionally, good, bad, yes, no, right, wrong, in a three-dimensional space. I'm long ways away from understanding the fourth dimension, meaning time. The way that... Sailor is going to navigate the waters of life, is going to depend on how that sailor has progressed through the various components, the various stages of life. And that, in and of itself, is not going to be controlled by the sailor, but going to be controlled by the sailor's equation, which is the evolutionary equation that gave you your mother, father, grandparents, etc., etc., it gave you your vessel which is your physical body. And it also gave you the perception of the vessel and it gave you the determination of the ratio of the perception. How much are you going to place? How much power are you going to place in three dimensions? How much power are you going to place in two dimensions? How much power are you gonna place in four dimensions? And how much power are you going to place in five dimensions? The fifth dimension is all the unmeasurables. When we were doing the wedding, correct? In that beautiful setting, the whole place was filled with the fifth dimension because everybody had an unmeasurable sensation, correct? Nobody could say, I'm in love seven. Right? Because I have a yardstick on love and I now have measured I'm in love seven correct? Anytime you have an elegant event, not elegant externally, but elegant internally, it is a fifth dimensional event. It's unmeasurable. When somebody tells you something and you have a deep respect for that person, that respect is unmeasurable. It's a fifth dimensional sensation. That fifth dimensional sensation will cause you to believe what you hear. But if you're controlled by two dimensions, which is right, wrong, yes, no, good, bad, hmm? then you're going to be like science and you're going to say, well, I don't know, let's have a double blind study on that, right? We yogis say double blind is just blind in both eyes. So this is how our world is interacting at all times in a metaphoric sense. We have this sensation of trying to navigate the waters of life with a vessel that we also have to navigate. Because the vessel itself, which is our physical body, is tied into generations of DNA, correct? Your liver and your kidneys, which are going to control your anger and your faith, or your fear, or your determination, your liver is going to determine whether or not your anger explodes or is, is concentrated. The difference between rage and determination. One just wants to be heard no matter what the outcome is. Hmm? And that's satisfying to some people. You cannot discount that. You just have to know that that's the kind of water that when you're around that person, that's the kind of storm that you may encounter. But if you get all strung out on that's wrong, then what have you done? You've gone from a a very holistic view in the fifth dimension to a two-dimensional view, right, wrong, good, bad. Which is going to suck you down and cause the other determinations that you might have, the other considerations that you might have, to be at best just outside of two dimensions, right? When a religion gets to become a fanatical condition, which every one of them is in today's world, no exceptions, it's become two-dimensional. This is the right way, this is the wrong way. And we all know that responses from religious fanatics is not very cozy. It has a lot of very measurable conditions, doesn't it, huh? So, even to the extent of how you are viewing the world, if we were to take um, another thing that will happen to our granddaughter soon, I'm delighted in, in, in uh, watching the, you know, the human development, but if you were to look at your head from the top view these would be your eyes right just i used blue just for distinction right and before before the first teeth come in and before the child really tries and strives to communicate a child is a is an enlightened being it is literally seeing through its third eye more than it's seeing through its two eyes because its two eyes haven't learned to focus yet and it's two eyes are going like we do in white tantric yoga. Eyes into eyes, right? Which means the two eyes, I know there's this thing that you go through in white tantric early on when you've never done it before. is like, which eye do I look into, right? <laughs> huh? And we all did it. Uh, but ultimately you realize that you have to put this eye into that eye and this eye into that eye. And what that does is that, give, that causes your eyes to go what's called parallel. The moment your eyes go parallel, you stop seeing the third dimension. When you stop seeing the third dimension, the fourth dimension is gone. So time and space disappear. When time and space disappear, you're well beyond is this right or wrong, but if that pulls you back, then you will lose that parallel vision because right or wrong will pull you to the, second, the, the, the two-dimensional view and that'll converge your eyes because that's how you observe danger. Is this good or bad? Is this right or wrong? And two-dimensional. So before we learn to talk and before we have much pain, we are, two dimen- we are in this parallel state, which means that if you're not observing two, three, or four dimensions, you're actually observing the fifth dimension at all times, which is the connection of all things. You're seeing the aura, you're seeing the energy field. And oftentimes when we're doing Tantric Yoga, all of a sudden everything just disappears and you just start seeing two eyes in front of you with a lot of energy field around it. And those of us that have practiced this over decades can do that with our eyes and suddenly we can see the energetic patterns that are existing. And that's something that is not a special trait, it's something that is always a learned trait, no matter what it is. Some people are just more born with it. Einstein, for example, didn't learn to speak until he was around four and a half to five years old. Everybody thought he was an idiot, you know, in those days they called it an imbecile, right? And and his parents were very concerned. But what was happening is that he was developing the fifth dimensional capacity of his brain which meant that he wasn't seeing what everybody else was seeing, so he was coming up with things that nobody else was ever coming up with. And everything that he ever wrote was written by the time he was 25 years old, and he spent the entire rest of his life defending his position against all of the other scientists who said, you know, it's malarkey, you're just an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about, and now everything that he is talking about has been proven to be true. So what happens is this, you've got in the middle of your brain, in just above the limbic system, you've got this thing called the pituitary gland. If your eyes are parallel, you use the portion of the optical nerve which goes back against the, the optical cortex in the back of your brain. The, the, the optical cortex is back here in the occipital lobes. And optical cortex, the the nerves that are going to translate. But what it does is when it goes through here, it goes through the pituitary gland, it turns the pituitary gland from being more than the master gland into being the third eye. However, if instead of of, um, looking through um, parallel eyes, you are looking at an object... then what happens is that you view how far the object is away from you. You're judging in third dimension, right? And you have a second set of optical nerves that go to the same place, straight back. And those show you three dimensions. And then you, you create the fourth dimension out of how you process time. Now, there are degrees to which you are going to focus. And those are all the degrees between this point and this point. Because if you converge really, really, really distinctly, you actually converge in front of a person, place, or thing. You converge, even if it's virtual, just in a thought, you will converge before it because you don't want to see it. You want to see before it. Because you feel, somehow you feel endangered by its presence. So rather than seeing the person, you'll see in front of the person. And we've all had that experience when somebody really doesn't get you, they just get this perception that's like something that they've made up and you know they're not getting you and no matter what you try to divulge to them, they cannot absorb that information because they're not actually hearing you, they're hearing this thing that they have designed and defined that is before you. And we've all had that experience and your, at, your, your attitude is, can't you see? Can't you see what I'm talking about? And the answer is no. So just let it go. What you need to do is you need to know when that's occurring. So when you know when that's occurring, voila. You don't get attached to it and get hurt feelings by it because that's a real hurt feeling kind of situation, right? You don't get hurt feelings by it. You say, ah, I know what the weather pattern is. Because that's all that is. That's part of the weather weather pattern. And forget it if it's somebody that's very close to you. There's a reason why you have something that's very close to you that is annoying the bajiggers out of you. And you go, ah time for annoyance and you embrace annoyance and within annoyance within that embrace you find that it's made up of many parts some of them very bitter some of them very sweet and if you can just allow the sweetness to fill your sails continuing the metaphor and allow the bitterness to pass you by, you're tacking, And in a human relation, you're handling it tactfully. And this is what life is about. Because what causes us to have the convergence? And really, if you go parallel, you don't see the person. You see the moment. And that person is just included in the moment. So what will happen if you don't see the person, but you see the moment, and the person is included in the moment, that person feels completely embraced or not. But if they do feel embraced, then you know that you're going to load them in your boat and carry them with you. And if they don't feel completely embraced, you know that they're a bobbling, bobbing thing that's going to happen on occurrence sometime and sometime and sometime and sometime in your life. And you wish that well. So the conditions of this are often determined by mother, father, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, Great, great, great. And how many are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven generations. And it's two parents, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, and 128 equals 254 ancestors that are influencing your view of this moment. some of whom were you. (laughs) And all of this is occurring. So this this is the scenario that you're experiencing. Why do you suddenly say, I'm going to draw a conclusion? Right? No. Why don't you say, I am going to observe the illusion and in the observation of the illusion I will be gifted ideas and ideals and I will be understanding, oh, I spent the last three days in eight hour meetings sitting in a single chair. I was visiting my ancestors all the time. Otherwise, it would have been not good, which is two-dimensional. <laughs> so in order to remain in the fifth dimension, you have to just observe and go, oh, that- this is how the ocean is and this is how the wind is and this is how the clouds are because there were some things that were taking place and believe me these are very high conscious people but there are things that take place in all circumstances that you go wow we just went in a three hour circle right which is what life is isn't it you go oh my god Happened again. And what that is, is that just a part of your life in which you have gone, ha ha, ho ho, hee hee, hoo hoo, oh my God, it happened again, ha ha, <laughs> and you go in there, and yeah, and yeah, and oh my God, it happened again. You know, because really, You feel like you're actually doing something, but what you're doing is you're just acting in what we call familiar territory, right? Because if you get into unfamiliar territory, you feel uncomfortable. And so life is about seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. That's what the physical body is all about. So if you're following the impulse of your physicality, then you're going to be seeking pleasure and avoiding pain and the decisions and the determinations you're going to make are going to take you in a circle of familiarity. Until something in that, what did we say, the only thing that is you in this whole picture up here? Is the consciousness. That something in your consciousness triggers and goes, I like this, and it gets really unfamiliar. But it doesn't just get unfamiliar to you, it gets unfamiliar to everyone that you've gathered around you. And all of a sudden, you're weird. Not just to yourself, but to everyone else. And you go, Whoa. And then they go, Whoa. And they say, We want to talk with you, we're concerned. People have had that talk with me my whole life. Since I was this big, my parents never were concerned. My parents were advocates. You know, My parents were yogis. They were advocates. But everybody else was like, are you sure? And then it was like 30 years ago, I went to my 20-year high school reunion, and people would come up to me and say, this is exactly how we expected you to turn out. Because <laughs> I look just like this. I thought, really? It was that obvious? Yeah, no, you were weird, man. You were weird. So if this is all helping to control this, but the consciousness is not controlled by this, the consciousness is this, which is this and The reactions to this, then what you have to do is you have to come up with a way of accessing consciousness on a daily basis. It's called a sadhana, it's called a personal practice. It's called something in which you can actually apply yourself to by doing the asanas, the postures, right, stretching into your body glove. Because that 254 ancestors have not only built your body genetically, but they also design the way the body moves by its own nature. So the way the body moves by its own nature is also going to cause the frequency of the body, which is going to cause the emotions that are going to come up in the body. So you're having Granny's emotions. You're having your great-great-grandfather's emotions. Well, that's not necessarily going to get you to where you want to go it's what you've got and it's perfect it's an aligned equation there are no mistakes in it however if you say well instead of just moving in the way that I would move let me put myself in a posture that I would never be in according to granny and what happens is the Asana begins to re-educate your gene pool and that's the reason why so many different postures for so many different reasons are something that you should be doing. Because you do nothing in a, standard, in a standard 21st, 20th, 21st century life, you do nothing to disrupt the linear nature of your genetics. You lie down, you sit up, you stand up, you walk you sit down you stand up you walk you sit down you drive you stand up you walk you sit down where's the remote (laughs) then you lay down its linear it is two-dimensional you don't even get outside the line And that does not disrupt the pattern. And what we want to do is we want to disrupt the pattern. Ultimately, we want to radically disrupt the pattern. But that comes with time because if you immediately, radically disrupt the pattern, the pattern, which is a life force held in place by 254 ancestors, will pull you back because it knows that through 254 lives it was successful in living from birth to death and that's all it needed to do birth to death perhaps reproduce and so it's very limiting but it's also the foundation on which your life is built so what are you going to look at the limitations or the foundations which one would you look at and gain from limitations or foundations which one huh foundations foundations right because you say ha ha this is fantastic say it Aww. i have been given the greatest vessel that could possibly be And then it's done. You don't have to go. Gee, I wonder if, and I wonder what, and I wonder when, and I wonder, you know, and that's just a circular pattern of familiarity that will just keep you in place so that you don't have to expand. The other thing that happens in this picture here is that as you stand, in every situation, uh-huh. all cartoons have four fingers. <laughs> rather, three, rather, three fingers and a thumb there's this most important component which is the diaphragm. And the diaphragm is going to determine along with the Edan Pingala, the right and left nostril channels, how the breath enters your lungs. You can't control your heart I mean you can raise your heart rate but you can't control the rate at which it's going to be working with um, your body but you can control the rate at which you bring the breath in. And what happens is that it's a combination of the angles at which the breath enters the lungs the attitude with which the breath enters the lungs. Like when I said breathe yourself into the room, basically you want to just allow yourself to acknowledge the fact that I am where I am while you're consciously breathing. You don't want to tell yourself where you are. Is that silly? That'd be like getting in your car and saying, I am now in my car. And you get out of your car and you say, I'm now exiting my car. Do you do that? I mean, maybe you do. I've never been inclined, but that may be my weirdness. But I think that when you're in your car, you're pretty close to knowing it, yes? And when you get out of it, you're pretty close to understanding that, correct? So when I say, breathe yourself into the room, what you want to do is you want to just go, be aware of your breath, Be aware of your surroundings, be aware of your location and allow it to just permeate your sensory system until, and if you stay in that condition, what's going to happen is that it's going to keep telling your brain the same thing, it's going to keep telling your brain the same thing, it's going to keep telling your brain the same thing and the brain is going to go to your sensory system both your actual sensory and your virtual sensory, and virtual sensory is the sense of location within space. Actual location is you feel the floor under your under your buttocks, right? Yeah. Actual location are stimulation of the sensory nerves, finding where you, what you're what you're actually existing on, and then virtual locating is that I am in Yoga West. Once the brain has been inundated with, I'm sitting on the floor, I'm at Yoga West, in whatever way in which it's being inundated with that information, the brain just says, I got that. Just tell me if it changes. And because you sit and it doesn't change, suddenly you begin to experience that which is not two, three, and four dimensional. The sensory system is no longer registering. It's not like your body goes numb. It's like your body begins to float, right? Yeah, And you go deeper and deeper into what's called the rasa or rasayana. Rasa means the essence as opposed to the sense. The sensory location is where you are in three-dimensional space based on two-dimensional attitudes and the fourth dimension of time. That's what your sensory system will give you. The moment you leave that sensory impression, you move into the fifth dimension which is timeless and spaceless and suddenly now you're in a location which exists right here right now which is existing right there right then and it is not measurable and that's how you use this physical apparatus to get to where you want to go what has to happen in order for you to have that experience well you've got to have satisfied your body's needs. So before you can sit like this for long enough to have the body's sensory uh, communication shut down, the body has to not only be tended to, but feel it as being tended to. Otherwise it'll go, I itch. I'm tired of sitting like this. I'm gonna hurt now so that you'll know what I'm saying. And then you change three dimensional space. So all of a sudden now you have to go back through the process. But before you get there, the body says, That's enough. You change three dimensional space, and suddenly now the body's back to, Oh, I've got something new to tell you, oh, my brain master. And it starts radioing to the brain, Okay. I just moved my leg. Very proud of myself. I just moved my leg. My hip no longer hurts. Aren't you glad that a hip no longer hurts? And this is all going on. Am I am I uh, making up this up or is this what goes on with us? Yeah. Right? This is exactly what goes on with us. And what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to stretch all that communication out by adoring the body no matter how well or how poorly we do the asanas. We are doing the asanas, and the body is going, ah, this feels so good, these new positions. And all of a sudden, you sit down, and the body goes, oh, I think I'll just, I'm so glad they stopped moving me. I think think I'll just sit and enjoy this sitting. And you've been breathing, so all of a sudden, the brain is going, oh, yeah, I've got plenty of food here now. And all of a sudden, you can go, whoa, into that space, correct? It's what runners call, in marathons, hitting the wall. And once you pass through that wall, you ask anyone that's ever done a marathon, the whole world is different. The body is moving. They're no longer moving the body. The body will get to that finish line. They don't even have to will it anymore. And what that has done is that has said all right, I am going to take all of this equation and I'm going to apply to it my consciousness so that I create a ratio that can allow my physical body with all of this influence to become, for the moment, uninfluenced. so that now I'm in this scenario and I've no longer got a faulty rudder. I've no longer got a keel that's not quite sufficient for the height of the waves. I've got awareness of where to direct the the bow of my boat. I've got total awareness of the winds and when they're going to change. I'm in the fifth dimension which is all time and all space compressed into a single into a unified moment, into a unified field. And now, because I've got all information, not only of what is in the fourth dimension considered to be this moment, but the moments to come, and the moments that have been, and the space that's to come, and the space that has been. And I can take all of that, and now my task is to comprehend it. So I need to do that enough times so that I can comprehend it. And then I look at this entire world with all of its commotion and chaos, and I understand it. I understand that all things are born out of emotion and chaos. Because emotion and chaos is just radical changing. That the circumstances that appear to threaten are the same circumstances that will give birth to the solution. Because without the threat, there's no need for a solution. Because if there just is everything is fine, nothing will change. And if nothing is going to change, then things will become stagnant, and then that will become a big problem. And you know from the horrible metaphor of the frog and the pot on the stove, right? Right? if you know my love for frogs and you think of this and I'm actually going to mention it you go he's desperate Gursing got desperate today but what is the metaphor if you put a frog in boiling water it will jump out but if you slow boil the water the frog will get boiled to death and so being complacent because everything is just kind of fine is not a good idea because we'll all just get boiled to death But the fact that we're living in a highly destructive, highly disruptive, super chaotic, very, very, very calamitous world means that we are the frog being thrown into the boiling water. And the jump out is called solution. And we're going to come up with it. And that's why we're here right now. But we need to understand the mechanism. Otherwise, what do we get caught in? Cursing at the cook who's boiling the water. Haven't you ever heard it, said it, done it? Can you believe those people? Can you believe what they're doing? The answer is yes, please do. And get over it. and Get on with it. That doesn't mean that you're going to accept. It means that your solution is going to be so encompassing that you're going to remember what we said, surround the world, the three-dimensional, four-dimensional world, with the fifth dimension. And what does everyone feel, or not, in that circumstance? Begins with an EMB. Embraced. Included. Because our greatest fear... No matter what it is, is to be excluded. Because the human being is a social animal. That's why embarrassment is a greater fear than death. Because embarrassment feels exclusive. You're the only one, you're wrong. And everybody is laughing at you. Not with you, but at you. And that you must consume and pass through, because every one of us has that instinctual pattern at the core of our being. And almost every other pattern of avoidance comes from that one. And all of our ancestors had that in spades. And every time you encounter another person, just understand that their ancestry did too. And they're just there to remind you of your ancestry. Like my three days of meetings. I was just having counsel with my ancestors. And all of a sudden, your intentions, be they three-dimensional, two-dimensional, four-dimensional intentions, I will do this then, I will do this with that, I will do this because it's good, become effortless. Because you're not blowing the wind, are you? You're not creating the waves, are you? But if you have your ship properly responding to all of the conditions of the weather then the weather is your friend even if it's a major storm and the last drawing is just how does this unfold this unfolds because what we have here is we've got a moment and that which shapes our that which shapes our moments is like, a, is like a receptacle. Okay? You receive the moments. That's how the moments arrive. You receive the moments and how do you turn them into moments is you take a an impression with your entire system takes an impression and stores it. Takes an impression and stores it. Takes an impression and stores it. And it's stored by the computer central component which is your brain But it's stored everywhere in your body, but your brain assigns its measurements. And the brain is either from delta, which is sleep, in which you're not storing much, except everything. Theta, which is dream time, in which you're storing a lot. And it's too much for you to comprehend, so you usually sleep in dream time. But deep meditation, which is in that state that I was talking about there, would be that theta state. Most people relax into what's called the alpha state and are active in what is called the beta state. And then there's the super beta state, which is where most people are on. I was going by some people the other day, and they all had these cans in their hand, and I... And they were really long kind of cans, long kind of tall cans, and I tried to look at it and there was this kind of graphic M on them. And I asked somebody, what is that? They said, "That's they're drinking Monster. I thought, oh, that's an interesting thing to drink, right? <laughs> but that, that's putting them into a super beta state, which means that they're going to receive as little information as possible, but it's predictable information, and they will receive it so actively, that what will happen is they feel like they're totally alert. They're not actually what you would call totally alert. They're just alert of one thing. And that is that they have a thought that they're totally alert. Because the more information you're taking in, the more it kind of overwhelms you. But if you can take in a lot of information without becoming overwhelmed, just like if you can take in a lot of weather without capsizing, now, that's a life. So each moment is like a receptacle. And the receptacle is made up of your feelings. In other words, the receptacle is shaped by your feelings and your feelings supported by your thoughts. And what happens is, the illusion of three, two, four dimensional space is filling this thing up. And the shape of what is happening is going to be determined by your thoughts and feelings. Because what is happening isn't what's happening here. What's happening is only filling up a container of your thoughts and feelings which are what you're relating to except when your consciousness is expanded. And then your container is not shaped by so much of your thoughts and feelings. Your container is shaped by the moment. When your container is shaped by the moment, it is said that you are experiencing the what is. When you're experiencing the what is, you navigate the what is extremely successfully and the what is is what carries you forward, and it's an effortless effort to live your life. So what is struggle? Struggle is an instrument, on the da- it's a gauge on the dashboard of your life, saying, shift something. But usually, what do we interpret struggle as? Something out there is causing me to have a problem that's not what's happening at all because what's happening out there you cannot control. What you can control is this, the vessel through your consciousness. So what you have to do is again that daily practice and that daily practice gets you so that your thoughts and your feelings, which aren't yours anyway, are just going to become clearer and clearer and cleaner and clearer until thoughts and feelings are not controlling how you experience the moment. You actually experience the moment as the moment. Then you hold the intention of arriving where you want to arrive. Now you know exactly where you are. And you want to arrive where you want to arrive. You could be on Pico and Robertson, but your feelings could feel like you're... I feel like I'm at Wilshire and La Brea. (laughs) So you put into the GPS of your destiny, I'm at Wilshire and La Brea, and I want to go to Yoga West. And so the GPS goes, okay, take a right here and a left here and a right here, and you go right here and left here and right here, and where do you arrive? Nowhere. Definitely not at Yoga West because you weren't experiencing the what is. You were experiencing thoughts and feelings. Now, that's a very simplistic graphic demonstration. However, in virtual space, we do that ten times a second and don't even know we're doing it because we've been so used to doing it. Being lost feels to us like we're found. If we stop being lost, we feel we're lost. Because lost feels familiar. Found feels so unfamiliar, we feel very uncomfortable with being found. I know, I've been through it over and over the decades. Getting to that place where you suddenly realize, oh my God, it's working, and then you go, oh my God, it feels like heck. It feels horrible. And so you go, like the graph on the uh, on any kind of growth curve, you know, and then boink. And every time it would go boink, I had that guy yelling at me. You idiot. But he wouldn't yell at me privately. He would wait until we were both in a classroom like with 300 people in it. And I'd think, oh, he's mentioned my name. You're such an idiot. There's a black and white photo. He's sitting right here, and I'm leaning over him. Maybe you've seen it on the blog. And it looks like, oh, wow, he's talking to him. <laughs> no, he, I, he, got, he sucked me in. I'm leaning over, and he's talking loud enough for the entire room to hear what an idiot I am, because I just had a corrective cycle. Why did I have a corrective cycle? Because the growth felt so unfamiliar that I reached back for the familiar. And why is he embarrassing me in front of everyone? Embarrassment being the greatest fear. So that my fear of getting embarrassed will be greater than my fear of the unfamiliar. A two-dimensional lesson. So when life hands you a really severe two-dimensional lesson, Right, wrong, good, bad, yes, no, left, right, etc. Go, wow, what a blessing. It's not what I said in that moment, <laughs> but I figured it out later. How many in here have ever had two-dimensional lessons in their life? Raise, raise whatever you got available. <laughs> all right? Yeah, if I had anything more, yeah, all right. Whew, we go through those, don't we? They're just instinctual patterns held in the ancestry. The mantra that's been in the background this whole time, the the infinity bowed and created earth for my benefit. That's what the mantra is. Infinity bowed, created earth, which means matter, da, for the benefit of my existence. Hmm, it's powerful, huh? Bless you for joining us. Visit gurusing.com for an ever expanding archive of lectures, videos, yoga sets, meditations, and more.